Hi, ladies. Welcome to Women in the Word. I'm Shelley Davis. I'm part of the Women in the Word teaching team. And I can say that there is no other place I'd rather be this morning than with women of God studying God's Word. So thank you for being here. I want to welcome our West Campus also. They join us for Women in the Word every week. And we're glad they're with us today also. Thank you all for being here. We're going to talk about families this morning. We're going to talk about genealogies. We're going to talk about the insight that a family tree really can give us into life and even into death. And certainly we all have a family tree, even if you don't know anything about it. I've never really researched uh, a lot about my family tree. I know some people do that as a hobby and find out fascinating and interesting things. When I was in my 30s, I had been a Christ follower, a believer for about 10 years, I guess. And I was given an unexpected gift from my family tree, from the generations that had lived and died before me. My dad, after my grandfather died, was responsible for cleaning out my grandfather's house. And he came to me to give me two things that I did not know existed. One was my great-grandmother's Bible. Now, she had died really years before I was born. I knew very little about her. Um, But I was excited when he gave me this Bible because it was evidence that she, too, had been a Christ follower. And it was so exciting to me to know that she had um, sat. My dad then told me, which I'd never heard before, that when he was a little boy, she would sit upstairs in her room in a rocking chair with that Bible in her lap and read her Bible every single night. So that was exciting for me. The other thing my dad gave me was a journal that my great-great-grandmother had written during the Civil War. And it had evidence of her faith during that extremely hard time in that uh, journal. Now, my family was a great family, but to my knowledge, they had never particularly been a spiritual family. But now, with these two things that were gifts to me from my family tree, I had evidence that I was not the only Christ follower in my branch of my family tree. And it encouraged me. It really encouraged my faith to have that connection with these two women, these two grandmothers that I had never really known. Family trees actually can have an impact on our lives today. Last week we talked about, um, with Misty, the story of the beginnings of the human race, about the second generation of the human race, and we heard a difficult story of two brothers, of Cain and Abel, who didn't share the same regard for God, and because of that, their relationship ended in anger and envy and murder. One branch of Adam's family tree was snapped off right there at the tree trunk as Abel's line was ended with his murder. And at the end of chapter 4, I hope you were here and you studied that with us, we sadly saw how Cain, the surviving son of Adam and Eve, what he passed on to the generations behind him was his ungodly character. That was the heritage he left to the generations behind him. But this morning we have more to learn about the beginnings of the human race and how the family trees that we see in these opening pages, these first few chapters of Genesis, 
have an effect on our lives today. So open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 5, and let's do some reading. Beginning in verse 1, it says, This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them, and he named them man when they were created When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters, and thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Okay, think back with me to chapter 4 where we ended last week. In chapter 4, we actually saw the genealogy, the family tree. There were seven generations of Cain. And Cain's family tree more founded a progressive but really a godless society. Uh, The other thing we read about at the end of chapter 4 is the birth of Seth, which is Adam's third son, He was born after the murder of Abel. Now, chapter 5 picks it up right here. They pick up uh, Adam's line through the birth of Seth. And we actually see more detail here than we did in chapter 4 about Seth. Because it says that Adam was 130 years old when Seth was born. And probably Seth was born not very long after the death of Abel. Verse 1 tells us right here in chapter 5, if you have an ESV, it says, This is the book of the generations of Adam. Now, the author has a point that he wants to make here, Moses does, because this is honestly not the complete genealogy of Adam. It doesn't include the genealogy of the line of Cain, which we looked at last week, and it doesn't include any of the generations that came from the other sons and daughters uh, that Adam went on to have after Seth. This is simply the generations of Adam as they came through the line of his son Seth. But we have a clue also back in chapter 4 about why this particular genealogy from Adam through the line of Seth is more important than the others. If this is the generations of Adam, why are they leaving out the others and pointing particularly to this one? And the clue that we have back in chapter 4 is it said that Seth had a son named Enosh. And it tells us that it it was at that time, in the time of Enosh, that the people began to call on the name of the Lord. Now, I think Misty told us last week that this was the first mention of prayer in the Bible. But more than that, more than just prayer, it was really when this new branch of Adam's family began to worship God, began to have a relationship with God. So this branch of Adam's family trees through Seth was different than any of the other branches that would descend from Adam, either before Seth or after Seth. And the difference is that these generations from Adam to Noah are the beginning of the story of God's family tree of faith. This genealogy is important. This genealogy is important because it begins with men turning to God, And where this genealogy is going to lead us is to the birth of the Savior of the world. You know, Cain's genealogy was given back in chapter 4, and it's only a few verses. And Cain's genealogy begins with murder, when he murders his brother. And the record we have of it, it ends with Lamech and his polygamy and murder. But the account of the generations from Adam to Noah through Seth... 
They have a whole chapter. They have 32 verses, and they give us the story of the founding members of God's family tree of faith that are eventually going to lead to the birth of the nation of Israel will come out of this line through Seth, the, um, through the patriarchs Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, through King David, the birth of our Lord Jesus, and the birth of the church will come out of this genealogy. Look at Luke 3 on your verse sheet. It was also in your homework. We're not going to read through that whole genealogy. It would probably take up uh, most of our time this morning. But in Luke 3, verse 23, it starts with Jesus and works its way backwards. So in verse 23, it says Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son of Joseph, the son of Heli. If you drop your eyes down to verse 31, which is several more generations back at the end of that verse we see king david where it says the son of david if you go down to verse 34 we see the patriarchs in this line jacob isaac abraham Uh, and then if you go all the way back to verse 38 who do we see we see this genealogy right here we see enosh we see seth we see adam we see the son of uh, That Adam is the son of God. So this genealogy of our Lord Jesus Christ in Luke connects the generations back all the way to right here where we are in Genesis chapter 5. And just as Jesus' genealogy and Luke traces uh, his generations all the way back to God himself, we actually see that same thing here in chapter 5, because chapter 5 begins uh, in verse 1, it reminds us that it is God who has created man in his image. You know, Amy talked with us about worldview a couple of weeks ago, and she said that a postmodern worldview would have began Genesis with, in the beginning, man. As Genesis begins to draw the branches of Adam's family tree that are going to eventually lead to the Savior of the world, it's clear that this family tree was created by God himself. It starts with God because from the beginning, God has a plan and a purpose for these generations. One of my favorite verses, and it's not on your verse sheet, but it just comes to my mind periodically during the day now, is Psalm 33:11, And it says, the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. And this genealogy is such proof of that. The plans of the Lord stand firm forever. Theologian Matthew Henry that was talking about this genealogy makes this comment. Man is not his own maker. Therefore, he's not his own master. Rather, the author of his being must be the director of his motion and at the center of them. And that proves out uh, what he's really saying there is the same thing the psalmist says. The plans of the Lord stand firm forever. God is creator God and God is sovereign God uh, as this family of faith begins. It's not an accident. You know, verse 2 reminds us that after creating the first man and the first woman, God blessed them. And we really see God's blessing here in this genealogy. When we look at the stark difference there is between the family family of faith founded by Seth and the ungodly line from Cain back in chapter 4 because 
we see in chapter 4 that Cain turns his back on God. God comes to him and after they've made the sacrifices and talks with him and, and makes Cain angry and he turns from God and eventually ends up murdering his brother. And then he makes excuses for his behavior rather than repenting. You know, Cain had a choice. He could have repented right there and it would have been a different story. But his family tree, because of his lack of repentance, becomes dark. And instead of bringing worship into his family and into the world, like Enosh did, the son of Seth, back in chapter 4, what Cain brings into the world is dark. It's polygamy and it's murder. So what we learn, what this family tree reaches out and says to us, is that our personal choices oftentimes affect more than just our own lives. Our personal choices affect all the people around us. They affect our families. We can see that through these genealogies. And they affect our future families, generation after generation after generation. And eventually, that affects the whole world. Our choice to turn from God, like Cain did, or turn to God, as Seth's descendants do, are going to affect our families for generations to come. You know, we live in a culture that really prides itself on providing personal choices, personal freedom. Um, But we often, someone has a slogan, have it my way, have it your way, whatever it is. Personal freedom uh, is is a big thing in our culture today. Unfortunately, we often have blinders on when we make those personal choices and we ignore the effect that it's going to have on our families and on generations to come and eventually the world. The choice to accept God uh, or reject God radiates out from us to the entire world. Okay, let's keep reading. We're going to read some selected verses now, beginning in verse 5. Read verse 5 with me again. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. Drop your eyes down to verse 8. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. Verse 11, thus all the days of Enosh were 905 years and he died. Verse 14, thus all the days of Kenan were 910 years and he died. Verse 17, thus all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years and he died. Verse 20, thus all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. Down to verse 27. Thus all the days of Methuselah were 969 years and he died. And it finishes with verse 31. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years and he died. I know you get the point here. These verses are a bleak reminder that even though this is the beginning of God's family of faith that's going to lead to the birth of the nation of Israel, that's going to lead to the birth of Jesus and the birth of the church that we're a part of today, people still died. People still died. All of them, except one man that we're going to talk about in a few minutes, all of them died. And there's a reason for this. There's a reason that generation after generation after generation ends with, and he died. And that reason begins with the reality that despite being created in the image of the living God, Everyone in the entire human race actually shares the gene pool of Adam. Everyone is descended from Adam. 
Because of that, everyone now bears the image of Adam's sin nature. Look back at verse 3 with me. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image, and he named him Seth. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they lost their innocent state. We talked about this at length a couple of weeks ago with Amy in chapter 3. They lost their innocent state they had been created in. They both Both Adam and Eve became subject to the spiritual and physical death that had been promised to them. It introduced to both of them not only the moral decay of sin, but the physical decay of sin, which would eventually, even after all these long, long lives, was going to become physical death. Look back on your verse sheet at Genesis 2.16. It's a review. We've already looked at this several times. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. This judgment that we see God telling Adam in the garden was pronounced on Adam because he did eat of that tree of knowledge of good and evil. And because he did eat and he bore that judgment, that judgment is now transmitted to each and every one of Adam's descendants, which includes all these men in chapter 5, and it includes every one of us sitting in this room today. The penalty of death, uh, which is God's judgment for sin, is not simply visited on us if and when we possibly commit a sin. God doesn't wait to see if uh, we do something wrong and then we have that penalty. That penalty, the effect of the fall of Adam into sin in the garden, is that all men and all women through all generations have inherited a sin nature from Adam. And from that sin nature comes the sure and certain judgment of death. Look at Romans 5.12 on your verse sheet. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. Honestly, I can't say it any better than that. That's it. In a nutshell, ladies, we all inherited Adam's sin nature. Every one of these men in the founding uh, family tree of God has inherited that sin nature. And with that sin nature, sure and certainly comes the judgment of spiritual and physical death. Look at Romans 3.23 on your verse sheet. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23, the first part of that verse says, For the wages of sin is death. So this bad news that permeates all of chapter 5, this great genealogy, and it's repeated, this bad news is repeated eight times in this chapter with the words, and he died. The bad news is that sin and judgment of death have come to all men through Adam. It's a real consequence for real people in real lives today, generation after generation. But the great thing about this genealogy is that the good news is also in this genealogy. The good news is going to come. And it is going to come through this family of faith with this genealogy we are reading about today in our Bibles. The good news is that the salvation will one day be offered to all men through our Lord Jesus Christ. Read the second half of Romans 6.23 on your verse sheet. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This genealogy offers and shows us that complete verse. The wages of sin is death. 
But, I love that but that's right here in this genealogy. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. This genealogy highlights the bad news, but it also brings the good news. Okay, let's keep reading. Let's read Genesis. Let's skip down to verse 18 and keep reading. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Okay, so in spite of this um, discouraging and he died refrain that goes over and over again in this genealogy that reminds us of the penalty of death that we all have, there are some real bright spots of God's grace right here uh, in this family tree of faith. And one of them is even though Adam and Eve are judged for their disobedience in the garden, they are not cursed. The ground is cursed. The serpent is cursed, but God in his grace and mercy does not curse Adam and Eve. And because of that grace, uh, which is God's unmerited favor, as we look from the generations um, from Adam to Noah, we see that God has allowed them to be fruitful and multiply. God has allowed them to move forward, to have families and to have children and to live long, long lives and spite of that penalty of death that hangs over them. We also see God's grace here in that he allows them to turn to prayer and worship, to have a relationship with him uh, that began in the time of Enosh, even though their relationship had been dramatically changed because of sin, because of Adam's and Eve's choice in the garden. But the highlight of God's grace here really is the story of Enoch. It's a remarkable story. You know, parenthood is certainly a defining moment in most of our lives. It certainly was for me. If you're a parent, I know you understand what I'm talking about. It's a time when we evaluate how we are living our own lives. We begin to take a close look at what kind of legacy we might leave through our children to the next generation. You know, the largest demographic in almost any church is families who are in the trenches raising children. My uh, mother-in-law, who's with Jesus right now, but when I had my children, the one thing she said to me over and over again is it's children that'll bring you to your knees. It'll children that'll bring you to your knees. And I recognized that as I had more children and they needed more prayer. She was exactly right. There's something about the experience of bringing a life into this world that makes people take stock of where they are spiritually. And we see a dramatic example of that really in two places in this great genealogy. The first place that we saw it was with Enosh, Seth's son, back in chapter 4. Because Enosh was just third generation uh, from Adam. So they had just begun to be fruitful and multiply. And what do we see uh, in the time of Enosh? They began to turn to God in prayer. They began to seek him and to... uh, have a relationship with him. 
And we see that same thing with Enoch right here in verse 21. Enoch was 65 when he had his son Methuselah. And the very next verse tells us that Enoch walked with God for 300 years after he had Methuselah. Um, I love the expression walk with God. I hope that gave you some time to think and ponder what that really looks like uh, in your life today. It's a great picture of a spiritual journey, walking with God. It's actually used twice here to describe Enoch's relationship with God. And what that does says to us is it emphasizes its importance. Anytime something is repeated in the scriptures, you need to stop and take a look at it. The word walk is used in the scriptures to describe close fellowship with God and obedience to God that results in divine blessing. Look at Abraham with me on your verse sheet. Genesis 17. When Abram, and this is Abraham, was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me. Be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. You know, Abraham is a man that the scriptures actually call a friend of God. What a great term that God used that in the scriptures about Abraham. And here we see God saying to Abraham, walk with me, obey me, and I will bless you. So walking with God gives us a picture not only of close fellowship with God, but also obedience um, to God. But the other thing it gives us is a picture of the fact that when we walk with God, he gives us purpose and direction in our lives. I think your small groups may have talked about that a little bit. He gives us purpose and direction in our lives so that we don't become lost and end up somewhere we don't need to be. When we walk with God, he guides us. Look at Deuteronomy 5.33 on your verse sheet. It says, you shall walk in all the ways that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land you shall possess. When we walk with God, he sets the path before us and he brings blessings to us at the end of that journey. Pursuing God for companionship and fellowship is what walking with God is all about. Uh, We obey his commands along the way. And when we do, we end up at the place that he wants us to be with the blessings that he's prepared for us in advance. And that's exactly what we see in this genealogy with Enoch. Enoch's walk with God changed his life in a way that Enoch could not have anticipated. He could not have anticipated that his life would look dramatically different from the people around him. Uh, The definition of grace, I think I mentioned it earlier, is unmerited divine favor. It's something we don't earn and we don't deserve, but God gives us his favor, and that is grace. And the gift of grace that we see in Enoch's life right here in this genealogy is that those three little words, and he died, um, are replaced with he was not. For God took him. Enoch did not suffer a physical death like every single person around him. It was the gift of God's grace that allowed Enoch to be translated from his earthly existence with an earthly body to a heavenly existence with a heavenly body. And honestly, we really don't know exactly how that happened. But we do know it did happen. The writer of Hebrews confirms it for us. Look at Hebrews 11:5 on your verse sheet. 
By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. You know, the writer of Hebrews gives us more information about uh, what it looks like when Enoch walked with God than Moses gives us here in Genesis. In Hebrews, we see that Enoch pleased God uh, because of his faith. Enoch made a choice to believe God existed. He made a choice to believe God existed. And then he drew near to him because he believed he existed. And the result of that, believing God exists and then drawing nearing to him because he is the God of all the universe, resulted in a vibrant, unshakable faith that pleased God. It gives us a picture that Enoch just set God before him always for these 300 years and lived a life of communion with God in such a way that probably the earth didn't have much of a hold on him. He probably, because of his close communion with God, was really not all that attracted to the things of the world that were being offered to him everywhere he turned. I read one writer that talked about Enoch that said, God was so important to him that he might as well have been in heaven. No one knows what it looked like for Enoch to have been suddenly uh, no more on this earth. But um, I love to read J. Vernon McGee. He, he just gives great descriptions of uh, the scriptures. And the description that he gave of this was actually a child's story of being in Sunday school. And she comes home and she says to her mother, I... I learned about a man named Enoch, and he actually walked with God. And he loved those walks with God so much that he began to wait every day at the gate for God to come by and walk with him. And one day when God came by to walk with Enoch, he said to Enoch, I have so much to tell you today, Enoch. Let's take a long, long walk. Well, when they had walked for a long time, it was late. And so God simply said to Enoch, you know, Enoch, we're closer to my home than yours. So just come home with me. And that's exactly what Enoch did. Enoch went home with God. Now, that's a child's very simple version of how one man walked and faced so closely with God that he just ended his day walking straight into heaven. I mean, that sounds like a dream to me, a joy and a delight to end your day just walking straight into heaven because you're living your life in such close communion with God that you're closer to God than you are to the world. Matthew Henry said this about Enoch. He said, he did not live like the rest, so he did not die like the rest. He did not live like the rest, so he did not die like the rest. The gift of grace that shines out of this genealogy about Enoch's life is the simple truth that victory over death is real and possible. Here in the middle, when we're surrounded by, and he died, and he died, and he died, the grace that shines out from this is that victory over death is real and possible. And it's real and possible when all of us follow Enoch's example. And we put our faith and trust in the living God. Enoch was given the gracious gift of eternal life because he walked with God in faith. He walked with God in faith. 
The great news for us today out of this very genealogy is that the gift of eternal life is available to all of us by God's grace through faith in Christ. Look at John 3.16 with me on your verse sheet. Many of you could probably just all join me and quote this in unison. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And right below it is Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. It's not an accident that Enoch's story is part of this particular genealogy that highlights the judgment of death over and over again. It's, it's not an accident that Enoch's story is about the gracious gift of eternal life through faith in God. Because this is the genealogy that leads straight to the Savior who has broken the chains of death once and for all. By grace, through faith. By grace, through faith. Okay, so let's finish our chapter. Let's read verse 28. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Okay, now our chapter, our great genealogy ends here by bringing us to Noah and his three sons. But I hope that you noticed that we don't have anything about their deaths here. There's no and he died. And the reason for that is because their lives take an astonishing turn in chapter 6. Most of you probably know that story. But this genealogy is stopped right here in the middle to tell that incredible story of Noah and his family. There are a couple of notable things I want us to know about these uh, verses, four verses right here. And one is that this Lamech is not the same Lamech that we talked about in chapter 4. That Lamech that uh, brought murder and uh, uh, polygamy into the world was part of Cain's genealogy. This Lamech is from the, the family of faith, the line of Seth. Uh, and he names his son Noah which means rest. And as he's naming Noah, he he expresses this hope that somehow Noah is going to give them rest and relief from the curse that they live under because the ground is cursed. Life is obviously hard. And he, as he births that son Noah, expresses hope that perhaps Noah uh, will bring hope into the world. Now, we don't have any way of knowing whether Lamech had uh, some, it doesn't give us any indication he was a prophet, that this was a prophecy he was speaking over uh, Noah. It may just simply have been a father's hope as he, as he held a new son. He had no way to know that Noah would actually have a part in saving the family tree of faith from destruction that other families around them were going to face. But he does express that hope in Noah. The other interesting thing we need to know as we finish this chapter is that Shem and Ham and Japheth are not listed in chronological birth order here. Shem is probably the middle son uh, with 
Japheth being the oldest and Ham being the youngest. But he's listed first here because it's through Shem that the, line, that the Savior will be born. It's through the line of Shem that the Savior will be born. So he is the covenantal firstborn. He is the connecting link um, through which the Savior is going to, to come. So our genealogy leaves us standing on the eve of the flood with Noah named for the hope that his father longs for. And, of course, from our perspective here today, because we know the history of the world, we also know the word of God. We know that Noah does exactly that. It's Noah and his family that are going to be the living link, the only survivors of the entire world um, that will continue God's family of faith right to the end of that genealogy that we looked at in First Luke 3:23 that says our Lord Jesus uh, was born. The fruit of God's plan for the world is going to be born right here on this family tree of faith in Genesis 5. Okay, so what does this genealogy mean to us today? What difference does it make in our lives? And let me let me tell you what the difference I think it makes. I think it highlights like a blinking neon sign for us that our choices are always more important than we realize. Sometimes they have eternal consequences, and sometimes they are a matter of life and death. You know, Adam and Eve, they made a choice in the garden that was really more important than I think they realized. Then they figured out it was a matter of life and death, the choice that Adam and Eve made in the garden. Their choice had eternal consequences that we see in this genealogy generation after generation after generation. They made a choice that brought death into the world. Enoch, on the other hand, if we look at Enoch, He made a choice that was probably more important than he realized. He did not know when he began to walk with God what the end result of his choice would be. But he chose to walk in faith with God. And as a result, it broke the chains of death. It broke the chains of death. And so we have before us the consequences, the importance of how our choices really are. Um, Enoch's choice really lights the way for us to realize that God has set that exact same choice before each and every one of us. We can choose to walk with him through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and break the chains of death in our own lives as well. If you're here today and you're thinking, you know, that's not one of the personal choices I want to make or I'm not ready to make. Um, If you're here today and you have not ever made a personal choice to walk with God through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, I cannot press upon you the importance of that. I cannot tell you how that is the most important decision you will ever make in your life, and it is available for you to make today. Um, If you're here this morning and you want to talk more about it, I'll be down front. Deb Hagood will be down front. Amy will be down front. If you're at the West Campus, I know Misty will be down front. And ready to talk to you about how important your choices really are. Look what Deuteronomy says. And I think every single teacher has used this verse or one similar to it. Deuteronomy 30 says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live long 
may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him, for he is your life and the length of days. Let's be women who remember this genealogy, who remember how important our choices are and whose legacy is that we walked with God through faith, choose life. Pray with me. Father, we just praise you and bless you that you have given us that amazing choice through the gift of grace. Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he made for us. Father, I pray that um, you would just have your hand of favor on all of our lives today. That we would be like Enoch. That we would walk with you. That we would have such amazing fellowship with you that the world around us would drop away. Father, I thank you that we know uh, if we've made that choice that death has no longer a hold on us. That we will spend eternity with you in heaven What a praise that is, Lord God. Thank you for these women. Thank you for their love for you and for the word of God. And would you give us your blessing as we leave today. I pray this in the name of your son, our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks, ladies.